If your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter number 16, about a month or so ago, uh, I was sitting down, I think it was on a Saturday, I have a devotional book that I every now and then look some things up, and it's called Streams in the Desert. Uh, Trina and I got a hold of that years and years ago when we first started a church in Pennsylvania, and every now and then I'll just pick it up and see the devotion for the day, and uh, I remember that particular Saturday, the text was from the text I preached on this morning, uh, from Matthew chapter number 18. And I remember just sitting there and just, uh, I looked up the scripture references and I read the little article about it. It was in that article I read that uh, story from Corey Ten Boom, of whom I read her quote. Uh, and that's one of those things that's been resonating in my heart now for about the last month or so. Uh, if you are following our church Bible reading schedule, you'll know that we read Matthew chapter 18 just yesterday. Uh, on the, uh, uh, that, was, that was just our assigned reading. And it's sort of like the Lord putting everything like dominoes in place for me. The same situation uh, is about our text tonight. It was uh, several weeks back I was reading. And again, uh, it was a text from uh, Matthew chapter number 16. And a thought I had, and just a few days ago in our Bible reading calendar, we came across this chapter together. Peter is uh, the one being spoken to in our text tonight, and the Lord had some very harsh words to say to him. When we were in Israel, my wife and I, in the year 2000, our guide took us to a location that is called Banyas Falls. It is a beautiful spot, beautiful spot. Whereas everything around it is pretty much desolate, there was a, a, a river that flowed through this little valley. Um, it was probably uh, as wide as our auditorium is, and there was a, just a real low waterfall, hence the name Banyas Falls. Uh, around this river, an area, just beautiful trees and, and flowers and so forth. Uh, there were some cliffs there. Uh, and, and a cave opening, and there was, uh, you could hear water running uh, under, uh, underneath there in that opening, and then it came out into the river uh, from where these falls were. Our tour guide was a born-again Israeli man, and he was uh, opening his Bible and said, this is probably where the encounter came uh, between Jesus and his disciples, when in verse 13, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. John the Baptist had already been executed uh, by King Herod. Some Elias, meaning Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter spoke up here, and he, the Bible says, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was an incredible profession of faith. The word Christ means anointed one. It's the same as the Jewish word for Messiah. Um, he was, Peter was testifying, I believe that you are the fulfillment of every promise given of the Savior that would come. He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was acknowledging the deity of Christ. He was acknowledging the person of Christ. It was an astounding statement of faith. It was not just utter words. Those were words that in Jewish culture, when, if they'd have been spoken about anyone else, that would have been considered blasphemy. But because Peter was telling the truth and he was right about it, it was not at all. 
Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Um, this was a wonderful compliment from the Lord, and the Savior was letting, letting Peter know, uh, the Father has worked in your heart. He's given you an understanding. Jesus said, no man comes unto to me except the Father draw him. And Peter had responded to that leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he's making his profession of faith in Christ. Peter is a saved man. How many would understand that? Um, and he's given uh, that incredible testimony. Jesus went on, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there are those that have misused this verse and they've twisted this verse. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not built upon Peter. Uh, and we will look at Peter's own words in a moment to verify that. There's actually a play on words here. He said, thou art Peter. Uh, Peter's name comes from the Greek word petros, meaning a pebble uh, or a, a little stone. He said, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, the word rock means a, a massive stone, a boulder, a cornerstone, if you will. Thou art Peter, you're a pebble, and upon this rock I will build my church. That rock, Jesus was talking about himself. You say, how do you know that? Peter said so. Look, if you would, back to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter number 2. Peter says in verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Peter is clearly talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and he is not talking about himself. Peter never laid claim that the church was to be built upon him because Peter knew that that was not the case. Uh, Peter was not the first pope. Please understand that. The word pope is not a biblical term. Um, it is a term that was man-made that didn't come into usage until some 600 years uh, after Christ. By the way, it came into usage about the same time that Islam was being invented by Muhammad. Um, and, and so forth. Um, Jesus uh, said, call no man on earth father. You have one father and he's in heaven. Um, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, as John is finishing uh, that marvelous book, um, he fell down to worship at the feet of this individual speaking with him. And he said, uh, stand on your feet, see that you don't do it. He said, don't worship me. I am of your fellow servants. Worship God, worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Human beings aren't supposed to be worshiped, knelt before or prayed to. Um, and, and that is just Satan twisting scripture uh, in his, in his own, uh, for his own purposes. 
Nonetheless, the Lord is, is uh, talking to Peter. He, has, he is sharing a message and he's got a challenge and a charge uh, that God has for Peter's life. He says in verse 19, back in Matthew 16, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter was given, he said, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The key is used to open or to close, correct? If you read through the book of Acts as we've been studying on Wednesday night, it was Peter that God used on the day of Pentecost to, if you will, open the gospel message to the Jewish people. 3,000 people received his word gladly. They were baptized and added to the church. Those were Jewish people. That's in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 8, there was a, there was a, a, a man named Philip went to the city of Samarita, uh, Samaria, where the people were half Jew, half Gentile. And there he preached the gospel in the city of Samaria, received Christ. They turned to the Savior. And it was Peter and John that went up from Jerusalem to verify this ministry. And it was through Peter and the laying on of hands that the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. It was, if you will, Peter opening the door of the gospel to the Samaritans. In Acts chapter 10, it was Peter that was sent to a place called uh, Joppa to the house of Cornelius, a Roman, a Gentile. And uh, Peter led Cornelius and his household to Christ and the Holy Spirit fell on them. So Peter opened the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. God had a responsibility laid upon Peter and God had a plan for his life. And that is what the Savior is revealing to Peter in this particular text. If you will, in some ways for Peter, this was an, an awesome moment. He has is, is declared his profession of faith uh, that the Lord Jesus is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is man's hope and only hope of salvation. For that he is commended by the Lord. He is also given a commission of taking the gospel to the Jew, to the Samaritan, and to the Gentile and opening the door of that ministry to those three various groups. The Bible says in verse 20, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. He said, let's keep this amongst ourselves for now. People aren't ready to understand this yet. Uh, there's something that has to happen first. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. This is the gospel message. This is the reason why Jesus came. He worked miracles, but the miracles were only to verify that he was who he said that he was. He preached many great sermons, but his sermons again were lining up with the scriptures, verifying that he was exactly who he claimed to be. The reason Jesus came was to die on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. I mentioned this this morning that we're all born as sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only thing that can separate or bring us back to God from our sinful state is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter 
uh, proclaim, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You're not going to go to heaven because you're a good person, because you go to church, because you're a Baptist or any other title you want to put on there. The only way we can go to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter has given his profession of faith that he believes that. Now the Savior is explaining to them that that death, burial, and resurrection is soon to come to pass within the course of the next couple of weeks or so. Verse 22, then Peter, the same one that was commended and commissioned in the previous verses, took him and began to rebuke him. He's correcting the Savior. He's telling Jesus off. He's telling the Savior, you're wrong. You're wrong. He began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Like Peter was going to stop it from happening in some way. Uh, he's he's uh, telling him, no, Lord, this can't be. This is not right. This is uh, not, uh, that you're wrong about this. Maybe he was even saying, we won't let this happen. Uh, and he's rebuking the Savior. The same man that gave a profession of faith. The same man that shared that. The same man that was commissioned by the Lord. We don't know if Peter's a little full of himself here. We don't know if uh, he got a big head real fast from that compliment from the Lord, but he's rebuked him. And in verse 23, but he, Jesus turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. Next word, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. The same guy that before he said, blessed art thou, he says, you're an offense unto me for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but they, uh, those that be of men. Keep your place here and turn back to, or turn to the gospel of Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. Mark is giving us his account of the same event. In verse 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. I turned you to this passage to help you understand that this rebuke of the savior to Peter was not a private one. This is in front of everybody else. This would be like me in the middle of a church service calling somebody out and saying, uh, you're, you're doing wrong, you're living in sin, you're, and, and so forth. How long do you think that person would last in church? Man, we'd be storming out. We wouldn't take, this is taking place in front of the other disciples. This is a, republic, a, 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 a public rebuke from the Savior. What incredibly harsh words. Get thee behind me, Satan. He's gone from being elevated in some ways as a saint professing Christ as his savior. He's literally being called Satan. The name Satan means adversary. It means enemy. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now understand, um, you know, that those are harsh words. It's not the first time the savior has used words such as that. Look at John chapter eight, John chapter eight. 
The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who hated Jesus and they followed him around trying to find fault with him in every way that they could. They were lost men. They were men who had religion but no relationship with God. They rejected Christ as being the savior that God had promised to them. And speaking to that group of Pharisees, look at verse 44. He says to them, ye are of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So he's looking at these religious leaders. They're lost men. They're men who hated him. They're the ones that led the charge to have him crucified. And he says, ye are of your father, the devil. He, he's, he's saying that to lost men. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Verse number 12. This is a prayer that Jesus prays just the night before he went to the cross. He's speaking to his heavenly father in verse 12. He says, while I was with them in the world, talking about uh, the disciples, I have kept them in thy name, or I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. The word perdition means damnation, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Judas Iscariot. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he referred to Judas. He said, one of you is a devil. Those are harsh words. Um, in John 8, 44, it was to the lost Pharisees. In, in John 17, he's talking about a lost man named Judas. But back in Matthew 17, it's not about a lost person. He's referring to a saved man named Peter. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, Peter didn't, literally transform into Satan himself. But at that moment, Peter was acting far more like Satan than he was the savior. He was taking the side of Satan rather than the side of the savior. Jesus minced no words about that. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. The word offense means you're a trap. You are a stumbling block. Literally, literally it means you're in my way. Jesus had just said, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm going to be uh, rejected. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer at the hands of those, the, the leaders. I'm going to be buried and raised again the third day. That's the reason I came. And Peter's standing up and saying, no, no, uh, be it far from thee. This isn't going to happen. He's rebuking him uh, in very, very sharp pointed words. And Jesus said, you get behind me, Satan. He said, you're an offense unto me. You're in my way. I wonder as Christians, which Peter was here, do we ever get in the Lord's way? Do we ever stand between the Lord's will and ourselves? And if so, does that mean that we are following in the footsteps of Peter? And if the Lord were here present, he might say to one of us, get thee behind me, Satan. You're in my way. You're a hindrance to my work. You are a stumbling block in the work of God. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read that passage, if Peter could fall into that trap, 
then you and I ought to sit up and just be very careful and take some stock and say, am, am I running the risk of that myself? Some observations from this particular text for us. By the way, I, um, Peter took the rebuke. Most people wouldn't have taken that. Most people are so thin-skinned and so filled with pride and arrogance, they would have stormed off and said, well, that's the way you want to be. Uh, you can do it. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go someplace where I'm appreciated or whatever our little one-liners happen to be. Peter apparently took the rebuke. Peter allowed himself to be corrected. Peter allowed himself to be changed because God was able to continue to use Peter. Read the book of Acts, the first uh, 10 to 12 chapters. Uh, read the, the books of First and Second Peter and you see, no, he wasn't a pope. No, he had none, none of that. Uh, but Peter was a man who made a great impact for God in his generation. So Peter allowed the Lord to rebuke him on that. The question is, if that was us, would we have done so? Some observations here. Number one, Peter sought to hinder the work of Christ. Clearly, thou art an offense unto me. Peter sought to hinder the work of Christ. He didn't think he was. His intentions, I think, were good. I don't think Peter was some kind of wicked, sinful guy living in rebellion against God. He loved Jesus. He had already said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In Peter's mind, that meant that he was to be crowned as the king of Israel. He was the promised Messiah. And that's what Peter wanted to see come about. He did not understand the cross. Peter, I don't think he was trying to be bad. I sincerely think that Peter had the best of intentions, but good intentions aren't good enough. Not even a little bit. Turn to Joshua 24. We looked here, I believe, on a Wednesday night. Joshua 24. As Joshua is about to pass off the scene, he speaks to the children of Israel. He's helped them conquer the land. He's helped them uh, get, get settled within that land. And now it's up to them to, to carry on the service of the Lord as God had planned for them. And he says in verse 14, now therefore, Joshua 24, verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Sincerity is important. Without sincerity, we are hypocrites. We're phonies. That's outward action without an inward reality. Okay? Sincerity is absolutely vital, but sincerity alone is not enough. He said, serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. Where do we find truth? We find it in the Bible. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. I'm to serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth. So in other words, my, my motives and, and, and my, my good intentions must line up with the word of God. And Peter's did not. Uh, the Savior had scripture for everything that he taught them. After the resurrection, he would open to them the scriptures, every promise given throughout the entire Old Testament uh, about how that Christ needed to suffer and die and be buried and raised again the third day and showed them scripture after scripture. Everything Jesus told them in verse 21 was scriptural and Peter was setting that aside saying, but I don't want that to happen. I love you too much. I don't want you to die. And he was ignoring scripture. His intentions 
were, were certainly golden, but they weren't sincerity and in truth. And Peter got himself in trouble as a result of that. Turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. This is where Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. The Samaritans had their own religion that was a mixture of Judaism and paganism. Uh, they had their own place of worship, if you will, their own temple and all of those things. And, and uh, she is trying to basically, you know, say that, you know, we, we've got all of this um, and, and, and we're all good. Look, if you would, to uh, John chapter 4, verse number uh, 21. Jesus saith unto woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. You're, you're blindly grabbing at straws. You don't, you don't understand truth. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in what? Truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not just concerned that I'm doing the right thing, but I'm doing the right thing for the right reason. Otherwise, I'm a hypocrite. Otherwise, I'm a phony, and God's not impressed by that at all. Uh, but understand this, uh, Peter sought to hinder the work of Christ. He, that wasn't his intention because his intentions were otherwise, but that's exactly what the Savior said you're doing. Thou art an offense unto me, Peter, you are in my way. There's a second thing I would help you to understand tonight. Peter unintentionally sounded more like Satan than he did the Savior. At that moment, he sounded more like Satan than he did the Savior. Turn with me back to Matthew 4, where Jesus had a, an encounter literally with the devil out in the wilderness. John chapter 4. And look, if you would, please, um, we're not going to read all of the passage. Verse 8 says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. He's saying, skip the cross. Go straight for the crown. Don't, don't, don't bother dying on that cross. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world now. He's appealing to that human desire of ambition and pride. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan. Now he's talking directly to the devil this time. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Peter had no intention of following in Satan's footsteps, but that's exactly what he did. He was telling Jesus, no, don't go to the cross. Go to the crown. We, we don't want this to happen. We love you. We don't want to see you suffer. Just skip that and you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and uh, unintentionally, with good intentions, he sounded much more like Satan than he did the Savior. We have to ask ourselves, our words, our attitudes, our actions, the counsel that we give other people, who do we sound more like? Are we teaching people trying to say, well, I know the Bible says, but I have watched people as all I can do is give a reference for a verse and it'll be a verse that they don't like. 
It'll be a Bible teaching and truth that they disagree with. And I'll watch them staring at a verse as if, if they stare hard enough, they can change the words till it can say something else. Um, because the, it, it's rubbing them the wrong way. And, and they, they, they're in dangerous ground when they do that. They may be saved, but they are, they are trying to deny the scripture. And that's all that Satan was about. There's a third observation that I want you to understand. Satan sought to lead the savior rather than to follow him. Get thee behind me, Satan. So Peter was out front. Peter's telling the Lord, this is how it's going to be. And that is never to be our position. We're supposed to be behind him. Jesus carries that teaching on. Look at verse 24, Matthew 17. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come, what? After me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. Was Peter following in verse number 22? Yes or no? Not at all. Peter's trying to lead the Lord. He's trying to tell the Lord the way that it ought to be. Uh, again, remember, Peter's intentions are, are, are probably good ones. He means well, but he's in a very bad position. Anytime that I'm telling God how it ought to be, or I'm telling God how I don't like the way he's doing things, I've now gotten out in front of him, and I'm in a dangerous spot. And I'm leading the Lord, and my position's to be behind him and following his leadership. Turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7. We see a, another good man who found himself in a similar situation and had to be corrected by the Lord as a result of that. Was David a good man or a bad one? Good man. He was a godly man. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel 7, the events with Bathsheba, they haven't even taken place yet. David is not messed up yet. Uh, David has been a humble man. He has, he has followed the Lord's leadership. Uh, God has used him already to pen words of scripture. He has helped establish uh, the, the nation of Israel and get things uh, solidified for them. Verse 1 of chapter 7, it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest roundabout from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. There was a tent that was pitched outside the city of Jerusalem, and that's where the ark of the covenant was kept. Imagine on a night like tonight, trying to live in a tent. How many think that would be comfortable? Unless you're Matt Gerber, the answer's no. Uh, he stayed out in a tent uh, back when it was, what, eight degrees or something like that with his daughter, of all people, and so forth. David's living in a house of cedar wood that, that uh, the, the uh, king named Hiram had built for him. He's protected from the elements. He's in a safe environment. But out there on, on the hillside, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, it, it's affected by wind and rain and sand and everything else that could be a part of the weather in those days. And David said, so... Here I sit in my house of cedar. The ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And what David was saying is, I don't like that. I want, God's, I want God to dwell in a house every bit uh, as magnificent as mine. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in thine heart, 
for the Lord is with thee. Question, what David wanted, was it good or bad? Yeah, it was good. His intentions were golden. There, you can't find fault with what David wanted. Um, when Nathan said, go do all that is in thine heart, uh, for the Lord is with thee. Uh, Nathan's intentions, were they good or bad? No, he's agreeing with David. I, I agree, you got this palace and, and, and it's only fitting that God uh, should not be dwelling in, 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 a, uh, you know, an, in a tent while you live here. And they both had a really, they, they had really good hearts about this. What was missing from everything that they were planning? What's that? They didn't ask God. Neither one of them. Not David and not Nathan the prophet. Neither one of them said, well, let's ask God and see what God wants. In other words, they got out ahead of God. And they're now in the leadership. And in their minds, because it's something good, then, then we don't need to ask God. Everything's fine. We always need to ask God. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Lord, is this what I should do? Lord, is, what, is this what you want me to do? In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. They didn't do that at all. Uh, you know the story about this. Verse number four came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, that's the prophet, saying, go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shalt thou build me in house for me to dwell in. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. Basically, in the following verses, uh, the Lord is gently rebuking David. He said, I never told you to do that. I told you to be a man of war. I told you to deliver my people from all of their enemies. I told you to establish the kingdom I never told you to build a house. You took something on yourself that I didn't tell you to do. Uh, God wasn't mad at David. He was just saying, David, you're leading and you're supposed to follow. He did give him a promise. He said, but your son uh, that's going to follow you, he'll build me a house. And, and, and so forth. And he went on to say, and, and of your seed, there's going to be somebody to sit on, on your throne forever and ever, a promise about the Messiah. Now, David's been rebuked. God said no. You, you got ahead of me, David. David didn't get mad. David didn't throw a fit at God. The Bible says that he went into the house of the Lord and he just sat down before the Lord in verse number 18 and said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. David went on to exalt and to praise the Lord. David got rebuked by the Lord for just getting out in front. David didn't want a bad thing, but David accepted that rebuke and accepted God's plan and will for his life. Back in Matthew 17, as we uh, get ready to wrap some things up here, we got this guy, Peter. He is, he's a good man. He's been commissioned by the Lord. God has a, a purpose and a plan for him. But Peter stepped out in front of God. He rebukes the Lord. So the Lord says, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. And here's why Peter did all of these things. This is where Peter went off track. 
For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. His wrong actions stemmed from a wrong attitude. That word savorous means to have a taste or a flavor for, to be a partaker of. There are certain foods I will not keep in my apartment. If you open my refrigerator and look in the freezer, I guarantee you, you will not find Klondike bars. They won't. I could go out and buy a packet of Klondike bars. I can guarantee you by tomorrow morning, they won't be there anymore. I savor them. I have a taste for them. Uh, I, I have for probably the last 45 years. Uh, it, it's, it's just one of those things. Uh, Peter, Jesus said, you don't savor the things which be of God. You don't have a flavor for that. You, you, you don't have a hunger for God. You don't hunger and thirst after righteousness. You, you're, you're not seeking my face. You're, you're not seeking my word as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You don't like my will. David said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. David was a man after God's own heart. Jesus said to Peter at this time in his life, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You, you, you got your eyes on this world and you got your eyes on an, on an earthly kingdom and you're not seeing eternity at all. You're not seeing the plan of God. You're not seeing the will of God. You're not seeking the presence of God in your life. Thou savorest not the things that be of God. And that's why Peter got ahead of the Lord. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter three, and I'm almost finished here. Colossians chapter three. Our theme this year is living with eternity in view. It is disheartening to me, and I'm sure even more so to the Lord, how many people who profess to know Jesus Christ as their savior that have little or no desire to walk with God. You'll never see them pass out a gospel tract. You'll never see them invite someone to church. You'll never see them bringing a lost person to church and walking them down the aisle. You'll never see them at prayer meeting. You'll never see them at soul winning meeting. You'll never see them at those things. It's just not something that they long for. It's not part of them. Look what Colossians said. If ye then be risen with Christ. In other words, if you're saved, if Christ is brought you back from spiritual death to new life in Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Do those two verses describe you and I? See, you can't really answer it for me and I can't necessarily answer it for you, but do they describe you? Your affections are set on things above. Is that what you're living for? Uh, Is your life about the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of man? Is your life all about the almighty dollar? That's just the way the world is. Is it about pleasure? Is it about power? Is, Is it about prestige? Or is it about pleasing almighty God? Peter had the will of God laid out before him in Matthew chapter 16. 
God said, I want you to open the door of the gospel message to the Jews, to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. But Peter, it's almost like he may have turned a deaf ear to that. And now he's telling God what to do. And he's rebuking the Lord. And he said, Peter, you're acting just like Satan. Get behind me. You're, you're, you're in my way. You're trying to lead and you're no longer following. And here's why. You don't really have a heart for the spiritual things of God. You have a heart that's very little indifference to that of the unsaved world around you. Now, Peter took his rebuke. We have to ask ourselves, does the Lord see that of us? Does God see in me a person, a man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness? Everybody's proclaiming their rights today, aren't they? But very few people want to be right and live right and treat people right and serve God right. Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? When, when we do wrong, does our heart smite us like it did with David when he cut off the bottom of Saul's garment? A simple little thing where he humiliated the king and he came under so much conviction about it, he immediately ran out to King Saul and asked Saul to forgive him for doing that. Do we have such a tender heart? As I read those verses uh, several weeks ago and again just a couple of days ago, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things which be of God, but those things which be of men. All I could do was say, I can't answer for Peter. I can't answer for anybody else. But dear God, don't let that ever be true of me.